0: You are listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Uh, You know, I like commercials, Um, so this morning's introduction uh, is going to be carried by this commercial. That's far. So much forgiveness. Wait, did you say forgiveness like far or forgiveness like forgiveness? Forgiveness. For. Forgiveness. Far. Forgiveness. I'm hearing far. Forgiveness. Like forgiveness. 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 I'm still hearing far, but whatever. Introducing Stealth 2 with more carbon for more forgiveness. Forgiveness. Just hit it. <laughs> to- Today's Forgiveness Where Power and Freedom Found is sponsored by TaylorMade. Um, in the golf world, um, what you're looking for, clubs, is you're looking for that phrase he just made up, forgiveness. For- forgiveness really means that you can mishit it, you can mishit it, and it will still fly straight and, and far. Not as far as if you hit it sweet, but that's what you're looking for is forgiveness. Um, side note: I, I tried the driver; it didn't work for me, so um, it couldn't fix my couldn't fix my swing. Um, today we begin this three-part series on forgiveness. You know, really believing that once forgiveness centers and gets down deep inside of us, it can really carry us pretty far. Um, Tim Keller is one of my favorite pastors and authors, and his most recent book on forgiveness critiques three current current models of forgiveness that um, are pretty prevalent in society. First, he calls non-conditional forgiveness, the second, transactional forgiveness, and the third, no forgiveness, all right? So non-conditional forgiveness is to forgive, forget, move on, because holding on just holds us back. Um, Non-conditional forgiveness therapy focuses on the person who has been hurt and them working through their own pain without any regard to kind of justice towards the other person. And German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, called forgiveness without justice, he called it cheap grace, cheap grace. And contrary to what you might think, the Bible does not teach cheap grace, doesn't teach it. The second is transactional forgiveness that we see in culture. Transactional forgiveness sits between non-conditional forgiveness and no forgiveness models. All right. So in this model, the victim sets up the penance and the payment necessary in order to receive their forgiveness. So the model flips the victim perpetrator role, kind of turns it upside down. So the one who was in control to hurt uh, you is now under your control. And it sounds like justice but it's really not, because if you just play that out, um, it's exercising, exercising power that you didn't once have, um, and, it's, and it's arbitrary, and as long as you comply to everything that I want you to comply to, then you can kind of stay forgiven. This is kind of where we get this cancel culture kind of perspective comes out of this transactional forgiveness. Transactional forgiveness is really little grace. It's little grace. It's arbitrary, it's temporary, Um, and what's granted actually can be withdrawn. And then the third model, cultural forgiveness, is no forgiveness. And it means just that, no forgiveness, right? So those that hold to this model believe that forgiveness actually creates more of a dangerous society. That um, if you forgive, then you are actually um, encouraging behavior and violence to continue, um, and it actually produces more hurt for the victim. You're asking them to absorb by the very nature that you would step into forgiveness, you're actually, axi- 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 what am I trying to say? Asking the, the, the one who was hurt to bear all of that um, burden. That's the no grace model. Um, and what these cultural models of forgiveness have in common is they have no vertical element to the forgiveness. No vertical element. Where, where do we gain the ability to forgive? We gain that from Christ. So so without a vertical dimension of forgiveness, we're just left with whatever we have inside of us to give off to our horizontal lines, to the right or to the left. Um, The Bible doesn't teach uh, cheap grace. It doesn't teach little grace. It doesn't teach no grace. The Bible actually teaches a costly grace model, costly grace model. So each of us were guilty in our sin before God. Paul goes as far as to say that we were once enemies to God. Okay, so we're not just guilty of sin, that we were enemies to God, but when we receive the atoning death of Jesus on the cross, then we are offered forgiveness. Now, it doesn't mean that our sin penalty was commuted, that it was just going, well, it's okay. Uh, let's just move on, nothing to see here. Um, it cost Jesus his life. All right, so forgiveness is never free. It's never free. When Jesus dies for our sins to pay the penalty, the penalty wasn't just wiped away and forgiven, um, it was paid for legally and then forgiven. The book of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. All right, and so, and what we learn from Jesus is for God so loved the world that he gave, right? He gave his only son. And then my paraphrase here is because the son was the only one who could pay the price that was required. And then it says, so that whosoever, um, I worked at a church uh, in Texas. I was a student pastor and the, the, the church really grew around the children's ministry and um, the children's pastor um, wrote clown musicals. I know, but... They were just stupid good, and all—I all, mean, all of the characters were clowns, and and they they did them in auditoriums and bust kids in from. They were just that good. And but I remember the first one that I remember seeing, it was that title was "I Am a Whosoever." I am a whosoever, whosoever will believe will will not die apart from God, but will have everlasting life. See, that's the costly grace model that the Bible teaches. Um, So Eric, if I owe you a hundred bucks, Aiden here can't forgive that, right? I mean, Aiden can step up and say, yeah, hey, Pastor Charlie, don't worry about paying Eric back. He's got plenty of money. (laughs) Why why can't Aiden do that? Because it's not costing Aiden anything, right? Now, Eric can say, I forgive you, but there's still a cost involved, right? The cost involved, but you're, you're bearing the cost, right? You're not just wiping it away. It's something that costs you. Um, if I hurt Brennan's feelings, Bill can't say to me, oh, don't worry about it, Charlie. You didn't mean anything by it. Right? Because Brennan is the one that I've hurt. So Brennan is the only one that can forgive me. All right? this is, but it, co- it, it, cost, it will cost Brennan something and us and something to work through that, right? So it's a costly grace model. Um, God is, a, is simultaneously a God of holiness and justice and mercy and grace. And it's, it's such a difficult concept to try to wrap our brain around that he is both and, not either or. There's justice, but it's also grace. Um, the Bible teaches this costly manner. So without God, without this vertical dimension of forgiveness, my capacity to forgive is either going to be cheap, little, or none. I'm not going to have the capacity of this empowered grace that God gives us. So forgiveness wasn't a virtue in the ancient world, okay? Uh, forgiveness, the concept of forgiveness doesn't begin to surface before Jesus. So in the Roman, Roman Greco world, they could... Um, uh, they, they, uh, uh, they honored stuff like wisdom, they valued wisdom, they valued justice, they valued, valued courage, they valued self-control, but there was no model for, for, for forgiveness. At the very best, they would pity you. They would pity you. So they would excuse you because you didn't have the capacity maybe to, to help yourself in this manner or you, know, you were so far below them, you weren't couth enough, you weren't cultured enough, you weren't educated enough. And so, so they, would, they would pity you but, but there was no concept of forgiveness until Christ comes. And when Christ comes, he starts ushering in what it means to forgive. And so uh, in the, at the, near the end of the Sermon of the Mount, um, in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. You may be familiar with that prayer, right? Um, our Father who art in heaven. But when you get down into near the two-thirds of the way through, he says this. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's like it's one of those things you would love to have the the Lord's Prayer written out by lines, and the lines numbered, and you can pick and choose which one of these lines you would like to pray, right? And if you get a pass on one line, no doubt this is the one we wanna pass from. I mean, literally this is saying it's a legal acquitted um, uh, debt. It's been paid. Forgive us our debts. This is legal. There's a, there's a price to be paid. Forgive us our debts, what we owe. We owe this as we forgive those who owe us. So it's not saying anything about someone doesn't owe us a debt. It's acknowledging that there is a debt that needs to be paid to you by somebody And yet the prayer is teaching us to go to the Father first and acknowledge, forgive us our debts. I I am in the position of a debtor. And so when I'm in the position of a debtor, then it should should alter and change how I engage someone who owes me a debt. Does that make sense? And he puts this in the middle of the Lord's prayer. Teach us how to pray. This is how you pray. Pray. So this is not kind of a one-off thing. This is crucial to how we interact with one another. Matthew 18 teaches his disciples how to apply this principle of forgiveness inside the faith community, all right? Inside the faith community. It's not that it doesn't work outside of the faith community, but Jesus is addressing forgiveness inside the faith community. And I wonder why, because there's probably no reason why any of us would ever hurt one another, you you guys are holding back. The nine o'clock did not hold back. They they had, they noticed the sarcasm right off, right? Because the fact of the matter is, is we are people, okay? So the old phrase, phraseology here, hurt people hurt people, and broken people break people, um, but healed people heal people, right? And so, the, the The Church becomes this petri dish on what does it mean actually to love one another you know the the, the insults hurled at Christians and church uh, for centuries probably is well i don 't go I want to go there they're, they're, it's full of hypocrites hypocrites and hey you know what 's a hypocrite someone who who says one thing but does another right Well, I mean, count me in right the The, 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 the difference would be. There, there are things that I don't always measure up to, that I want to rise to. Is different than me trying to um, fraud you, right? Me, me trying to to act in in one way, want you know, and but then privately do another. But but I don't I don't I don't usually get my feathers ruffled too much when when people say that because I understand something has happened inside the body that's hurt them. So me arguing the the path of a pastor for three decades isn't going to help any of that situation, right? But so you can understand that when, when love becomes kind of the central point of, uh, of what people would understand as the gospel, and when people who adhere to Christ don't demonstrate love to one another, you can see why you, the moniker would stick, right? So what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 18 um, is more along the lines of when people get together, things can go wrong, right? I mean, once you include anybody in your life other than yourself, you're going to have a problem. And some of us kind of have a problem just with ourselves, right? So, so he's, he's trying to give this path. He wants to give this path on how he wants to see and what actually can work in terms of how forgiveness can happen in a body. Um, and this path includes interaction, right? So the cheap grace model, uh, you know, I'll just move on. This is not what Matthew 18 teaches. So here's Matthew 18, um, and here is uh, verses 15 through 17, and I'm going to read it out of um, the Amplified. First, let me say, this is going to, it's going to prompt uh, what, what could seem as a confrontation, but Confrontation has, uh, has the connotation of, I want to prove to you that I'm right and you're wrong. That's a confrontation, okay? Confrontations don't really bring about forgiveness, but conversations can. So here's how it reads. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens and pays attention to you, you have won back your brother. But if he doesn't listen take along with you one or two others so that every word may be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he pays no attention to them, refusing to listen or obey, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, an unbeliever or a tax collector. All right. So for all of our guests today, I am not dealing with particular issues in our church. Okay. Um, But I'm also naive to believe that everybody gets along well all the time. All right, so here we go. Forgiveness path, it's step one. Have a private conversation. Like why? Aren't there other options? Well, I know there are other options because I see and witness and participated in the other options other than having a conversation. Here, here are three that, I, that I've picked up on. Option number one is to let it go and move on. Now, if you've been around me any length of time, I'm gonna teach on forgiveness for three weeks and I'm gonna bring out my fence. And some of you know that message and that message will have a reappearance. There, sometimes things are, you should just let them go, right? Thumb, you know, don't pick up the offense. So just, you know, let them go. But, but let's go with this right now. Um, I will let it go and not have a conversation approach only works, in fact, if you actually do what? Right? And so here's how you know you haven't let it go. It still hurts as much as the day it happened. If that's the case, you have not let it go. The wound reopens every time you see the person. You have not let it go. It has negatively impacted your relationship. You haven't let it go. It hinders your involvement in the church. You haven't let it go. if If you can let it go, great. But if you haven't, your hurt and your offense will impact you It will impact them, and it will impact us. Okay? So that's option number one. Here's option number two. Ask others to take a side and then move in. Notice that Jesus' instructions were to have a private conversation. What you do with your pain says a lot about your end goal. What you do with your pain says a lot about your end goal right? Are you wanting pity? Are you wanting revenge? Are you wanting restoration? Are you wanting reconciliation? Because what you do with that pain is going to indicate what you really are after. Um, Satan will pitch retaliation, winning, um, pity, all as feel-good moments, but none of those bring wholeness to you, which is God's goal, or wholeness to the relationship, which is God's goal, Right? And keeping the issue private simplifies the restoration reconciliation process. It simplifies it, right? This is still good marriage advice. If you have a fight with your spouse, don't tell your parents. All right? It's always good marriage advice. Why? Because you might have just had a bad day and you're moving on the next day. And I will tell you, they will not move away as quickly. All right? Hey, and I, I preach it the same way. And my daughter and fiance was in the first service. I don't I don't need I don't want to hear I don't want to hear the problem, I don't want to hear the argument because I will quickly pick this up and chase him down. Right? So I don't so so I don't necessarily want to. And it's and it's the same in any kind of context. I understand that you, that you you're not always trying to pick sides in this. Sometimes you're just trying to feel good, Are you. I'm not saying don't have a conversation with some spiritual confidant in this, but you know when you're having a a conversation with a spiritual confidant to find out where you sit with this and when you're trying to get people on your side. All right? It's interesting to me, and this is not about marriage, but since I'm here, um, it's interesting to me over the years that the first spouse that gets to me in regard to marriage counseling, the other person already feels like they're behind. And it's so disappointing to me because I don't, I tell them, whoever gets there, for I'm not on your side. I'm on y'all's side. That's a Southern expression for you, for you Northerners. I'm on y'all's side. So I'm not on your side and I'm not on your side. I'm on your side, right? And so what you do with this conversation matters. Don't, don't you know, get a bunch of people together. Here's the third option that we see is write them off and move on. You just write them off. The question I ask, how many people do you have to write off before you take an honest look to see what you're contributing to these issues? Hard question to answer, right? But writing off one person, okay. Writing off another person, eh, I'm writing off a third. When, when, when are some honest conversations happening to figure out your part of this process. Relationships are too valuable, they're not dispensable, especially in the body, right? Especially in the body, these relationships aren't dispensable. So, what are you doing? How are you stewarding those relationships? Um, you can definitely write someone off, but it doesn't bring any healing. Uh, and what you're really searching for. So, okay, so why is a private conversation step one to forgiveness? First is a conversation is a knock on a closed door. Doors closed, they've closed it, you've closed it, whatever, asking to have a conversation is the first knock on a closed door. Here's how I define restoration, reconciliation. This is God's plan. Restoration is that I'm whole and they're whole. That's God's goal in restoration. Okay? Not that you win and they lose, or you lose and they win. Right? You're looking for wholeness for you and wholeness for them. Reconciliation is the wholeness of the relationship. Okay? Hey, now I get it, and I know that when I talk on, on forgiveness, there's a lot of different scenarios that you could be playing in your mind. Don't let the enemy play too many tricks on you as you're trying to hear it. Try to kind of stay honed in what I'm saying here. Reconciliation isn't always possible, but I'm telling you, this God God's goal is restoration, your healing and their healing, and the reconciliation when when that makes when that makes sense. All right, so. Conversation is a knock on a closed door. Two, conversation puts you in the same room with the same goal. Satan wants to stir up conflict in your life to destroy you, to destroy your family, destroy the body of Christ. Conflict comes, uh, disagreements come. It's just a part that we're all, we all have our own issues and our own brokenness and our own defensiveness and we got insecurity. We all have it in different measures or whatever, right? Now, so the question isn't, why couldn't God keep that from happening? The question is, what do we do with it once it happens? Now, what do we do with it once it happens? God has a goal and the enemy has a goal. And so which one are we going to pivot to? God's goal, restoration and reconciliation for us and for them. That's what he wants. That's what wins. That's the wholeness. That's the healing. Okay. Um, The other one, he wants us to brood, isolate, break up this is this is what his goal is how how can we how can i how can i do enough destruction in this one instance right and so two different goals but a conversation puts you in a room fortunately hopefully with the same with the person with the same goal and the third is the conversation cleans the air and it clears the air conversation cleans the air and clears the air here's what i mean by cleans the air um, sometimes we get upset with someone, and we didn't have the conflict, but someone else heard them do this or do this or said this or whatever. By the time it gets to us, right? It's it's gone through so many different filters that we don't even have we don't even have the the truth. Or I think they said this, or I took the way they did this. This is how I took it. Well, without a conversation, that's all you got. Only thing you have is what your experience has been. But when you have a conversation, then that cleans the air. It's, it allows someone to say, oh, I didn't mean that. I say this a lot with, with, with married couples um, in the conversation. When, when, when you take the time to listen and ask the question, um, this, is what I, this is what I think I heard you say. It gives enough pause in the relationship that the partner say, yeah, I said that, but man, that sounds so much worse when I hear you say it, right? Or it can be, no, that's not what I meant at all. You, no, that's not what I meant at all. This is what I meant, right? So, so having a conversation cleans the air. No conversation, no clean air, all right? And then it helps, um, uh, uh, what did I say, clean the air and what? Are you listening to me? Huh? Clear the air, right? So, I've got it. All right, we've tried. I want to get this off my chest. That really doesn't mean that most of the time. What what that really means is I wanted to hit you and leave. I don't need any rebuttal. I just want to pop you and walk on. Uh, It's cleared my air. You know, it hasn't done anything for your air, but it's cleared my air. Well, conversation kind of allows you to kind of get past all what the enemy does with conflict. Does anybody's stomach get upset when you're in conflict? All right, and you run and you run all these scenarios and like they hate you. Like they hate you and they're ready to bury you in the back, you know, dump you in the East River, right? Because um, those are the scenarios you've run in your head. But the conversation clears, clears your and, and makes the, everything lighter. All right, so those are the, uh, let me say this. The type of convers that type of conversation will strengthen the relationship, not weaken, weaken it. A healthy and loving conversation confronts the problem and not the person. Right, because we're we're not out we're not out after, ganging up. We're after, right? Okay. So there, hopefully the conflict ends after the conversation, but obviously it doesn't all the time because Jesus gives the next step. Next step. Go we'll get two or three other witnesses. So maybe it's someone who has uh, experienced it and saw it. Maybe it's someone that, um, that you're close to and you, they, they feel the pain that you feel through it, um, whatever. But they want to enter into the, the relationship in order for restoration, reconciliation. Do you see how this is different than building your team? If you're just trying to build your team, people who are gonna agree with you, this is not going to turn out well, I can assure you. But if you add people to the mix that want to see restoration and reconciliation, then um, then this could move forward. So it's it's only ganging up if you actually gang up. But be prepared, be prepared for someone to be defensive because it looks like that's what you're doing. But but you and your approach will determine whether this is defensive or not. Okay, all right, now. Because it really it's kind of saying, look, please hear me. This is really, this is serious enough that I, I, want, I want to get this result. But apparently this doesn't always work. And the next step doesn't even get taught anymore. It says um, to approach the church. So that's me. Approach me, our pastoral staff, our elders. Um, you're, you're, bringing, you're bringing other people, praying people into this breach. Um, and like I said, it doesn't get taught anymore. For, believe me, I, don't want, I really don't want to get in the middle of your stuff. I, I don't sit around each day going, uh, you know, how can I make both people mad at me, right? Because that's kind of that's what happens. It literally is what happens. You just, well, I think you're only seeing this piece, and I think you're really only seeing this piece, and I think if we do this, I think it's all a win. And and sometimes, yeah, we're all hug and it's great because that's what he says. You know, you, you win a brother over, and other times, and no, I don't. And and it does get said in my office, right? Um, and sometimes that doesn't work, because he says so, right? And if that doesn't work, then, so then treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. And I don't know all the cultural ramifications of that, but I would know enough to say that we ain't related no more. So we're just going to have to, I've done this, I want this, you don't, Okay what I've done. And I I really believe that when we follow a process like this, and at the end of the day, if there is no reconciliation, there is restoration in your heart. That you know, I've done done all that I know to do in this situation. Now, that's hard enough as it is. I mean, that's hard enough teaching that I can just say, okay, amen, let's go. uh, Let's go and take up the rest of chapter 18 another time, but I'm not gonna do that. So Jesus then teaches a parable, right? He teaches a parable. So in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, um, after he, you know, he walks us through this process, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times will my, brother, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him and let it go? So Paul, I mean, Peter's looking for a qualifier. All right, Lord, that's really tough. That's a really tough Lesson you just given us. So where, where is my out? And I think Peter's thinking like he's really kind of over the top being generous here and throws out the number seven, right? Like surely he'll accept seven. And Jesus says, no, not seven. How, how about 70 times seven? Now, is he really thinking 490? Because if he is, some of you are going to get out your pitch clock already and see how far, how far somebody's already down that list, Right. Uh, these these numbers are much more symbolic of Jesus saying, keep doing it. Keep doing it, Peter. And then he tells this parable, right? And not a cute little story. It's kind of a punch in your face story. So just hold on. So Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the accounting, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But because he could not repay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and everything that he possessed and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees and he begged him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And his master's heart was moved with compassion and he released him and forgave him, canceling the debt. But that same slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. And he seized him and began choking him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow slave fell on his knees, begged him earnestly, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he was unwilling and he went ahead and had him thrown into prison until he paid back the debt. When his fellow slaves saw that what had happened, they were deeply grieved and they went and reported to their master with clarity and detail. So that means there was a body camera. (laughs) All right, everything that had taken place. Then his master called him and said, you wicked and contemptible slave, I forgave all that great debt of yours because you begged me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave who owed you little by comparison as I had mercy on you? And in wrath, his master turned him over to to the torturers, the jailers, until he paid all that he owed. My heavenly Heavenly father will also do the same to every one of you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let's go have pizza, right? I mean, (laughs) boom, Right in the face, so a talent, to get the cultural significance here, a talent was either measured by weight or by years, okay? So, depending on where you read, 60 to 80 pounds was a talent, so let's just choose 70, all right, and then, then nine years, nine years of wages would have been a talent. All right, so we have 10,000 talents, that's 700,000 pounds of money. 700,000, you know, when, you're weigh- when, when, when your retirement account gets to where you need to weigh it and not, come find me, please. Um, yes. so, so pounds of what? So I just took gold. Uh, last week, gold started trading above 2,000 an ounce. So 700,000 pounds times 16 ounces times $2,000 is $24,400,000,000. that's a significant sum that he owed. All right, well, how about in years? Okay, nine years of talent, 90,000 years of salary. That's what he owed. So obviously Jesus is reaching for big numbers here because he's trying to make a point, right? All right, guy's released. He goes and he tracks down this guy, owing i 100 denarii, all right? So that's one third. That'd be one third of an annual salary. All right, so let, I want you to do some math in your own head. What'd you make last year since it's tax time? What'd you make? What's a third of that? Could you just let someone walk away with a third of that? So you see, it's just not—it's not just a cute little. The, 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 the debt owed this person was a real debt. It was a real debt. A third of his annual salary. It was a real debt. It would cripple him. All right. But when Jesus says, "Listen," at this comparison level, you don't have a really, really good understanding of how much you owe me. You don't. You're really not. I mean, when someone when someone offends you, when someone hurts you, and and you with I'm not talking about where restoration can't be reached and reconciliation can't be reached. I'm talking about when when you just write them off and just no, we're done. Said. So, you're not having an accurate understanding of what I did for you. Costly grace. Grace will always cost you something. Always. And yet, it is the best representation of the grace that we receive from God. And when he he puts it in the Lord's Prayer, saying this is how... This is how we are to live. No bones, that it's not an easy process. No bones, it's a messy process. Um, Yes, it's all of these things, and yet it is his process. So isn't it kind of shocking when he would say, my heavenly father will also do the same to every one of you. Each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That is a swallow hard moment. Um, If you don't want to swallow hard, I would suggest not reading the Bible it it causes you to swallow hard. So come on up, team. So what are we gonna do with this kind of passage? What do you do with a passage like this? The first recommendation I have is to get better acquainted with our own debt because when we get better acquainted with our own debt, it softens our heart. When When we get more acquainted with our debt, it softens our heart. The second would be not to fixate on what forgiveness costs you. Focus on the value gained. Focus on the value gain. What's going to be the gain of that relationship being restored? What's gonna be gained when the body of Christ operates in unity? What is gained by that? And then the third is to have the conversation. To have the conversation. I, I I wish Jesus would give us more wiggle room with this. Um, in Matthew five, before he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, co- then come and offer your gift. Do you notice the subtlety? He doesn't give us any wiggle room. You, you're, you're, he, to this, he's saying you're not even the party. You're not the party that's um, been offended. You know somebody is sideways with you. <laughs> like, come on, God. That's their issue. <laughs> I don't have an issue with them. That's their issue. Said, hey, if you know someone, said, hey, I'm all about the offering. I'm all about you coming to the altar and but I think you need to be reconciled. Go reconcile and then I mean this it's just advanced discipleship, folks. I mean, it really is what it is. This is advanced discipleship. Beginning discipleship is I've been forgiven. The reception of Jesus' death on the cross that has reconciled us to him and given us new life. That's where all of us start, but that's not where all of us stay. There's, There's movement that he calls us to, not to punish us or make us feel like you know, this, oh, this is too hardy. He brings us along because there's a life that he's bringing us all into. Sorry, my back just spasmed. Uh, there's a life he's bringing us to. And this piece of forgiveness is a roadblock for you right now. There, there is more life on the other side of this mountain than there is where you are right now. And you're not the the first person that's going to have to have a conversation with someone and you will not be the last person who has to have a conversation with someone. But I love the fact that he puts it this simply to us. If If you have fought against your brother, have a private conversation. Let's start. Let's start there. So in our response time, this is our opportunity to go vertical. You got to start there. You got to do your best to put aside the pain, hurt. Believe me, God has a complete understanding of your pain and hurt. Okay, you can remind Him if you want. Not a problem with that. Do that all. You can do that as much as you want. But you've got to give. You've got to breathe enough to allow Him to speak to you. that you have this vertical so that if it's possible that it extends horizontally so you might need to come up today and pray because you know that you need to forgive somebody and this is your first step or you you know you need to be forgiven and this is your first step can you do that in your seat I say it all the time right you can do that in your seat uh, for sure Um, but movement always matters um, you can receive communion to my left or right. The ultimate forgiveness um, illustration, demonstration, the sacrament of communion. So stand with me, and we'll pray. And then I'm going to invite you to move. I, Lord, I don't. I don't think this is an accurate thing to say. That this is a hard word. I'm, it's it's hard for us because it requires us to do something that's counter our nature of self-protection. but you're, giving, you're showing us the path to life. And I don't know what's going on in the lives of the men and women and students in this room right now, but I know you've given us a word of life today. And so what are we gonna do with it? So I pray, the Lord, you would prompt your children to do something with it if they, if they need to today. And if not, it's locked away for another time. I know you'll receive whatever is given to you today and you will empower whatever you um, direct today in the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.